<laughs> the Holy Spirit gave Paul a heads up. This is this is kind of funny to me. That many bad things await you. <laughs> Join Chad Norris in the Garden Global community as they dive into practical ways to follow Jesus and grow in spiritual capital every day. Right here on Table Talks. Hey everybody, welcome to Garden Table Talks. My favorite thing about this show is it's being filmed by someone who knows nothing of sports mm. and God chooses to send him to the national championship football game to it, film. It feels rude. I am jealous, I am envious, mm. and the word says where there's jealousy and envy, there's all evil work, so we'll try to get that yeah, out of the way before we start. do our best to clean that up. If you would ever told me Fannin would do a documentary on Furman basketball team and now be working for Clemson University and going to the national championship game. Sometimes things aren't fair. I'll be stuck in Greenville. Our Bulldogs are not going to the playoffs. Speaking of unfair. But you do have a Bulldog sweatshirt on today or sweater. You look great and I'm ready to jump into a conversation. Let's do it. We talk about narrow road a lot, mm -hmm. all the time. What is the narrow road? Well, it's the road that is uh, less traveled it's a metaphor that Jesus used to uh, contrast with wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Yes. And so narrow being the road that leads to life, leads to godliness. Um, you know, we, we'd like to think that as long as there's a lot of people with you, then you must be going, you must be doing the right thing. But he makes, makes it really clear that this Christian life is one that is, um, is not necessarily going to be accepted by everyone, mm -hmm. and uh, and so the narrow road becomes that place where you you say I I will be on a road that is less traveled, um, I will be on a road that leads me to life and godliness, and um, and I'll do it alone if I have to. He is the narrow road. He is the narrow he, road. He forgives the woman caught in the act of adultery, which is just, it changed my life 22 years ago reading that passage, that he really loves me. At the same time, he yells at his own disciples for not being able to cast the devil out of that kid that fell in the fire. I mean. Do you, does it ever frustrate you to be growing? It does me. You grow in such an awareness of his compassion for you. I don't mean for the world, I mean for you. Sure. Mm-hmm while at the same time feeling a higher level of conviction from him towards you? Oh. <laughs> I don't like that. Well, you know what? I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Like my flesh. Your flesh doesn't like that. But man, my spirit man loves it. My spirit man says, this is, this is validation that you are on the narrow road. If I'm listening, if I can hear him and I submit, mm, that's narrow road proof. You know what I think evidence of a, a true Jesus follower is? A deep conviction over personal sin. I totally agree. Not, I don't mean, by the way, in some, I just want to self-cut myself. Yeah, and no, no. Spend, no. Spend, I, matter of fact, someone not too long ago said, your teaching's very self-introspective. And I said, actually, it's not. It's not. It's introspective of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus laid his life down for me, but it's also, there's another side of the coin. I'm the one that put him on the cross. Well, this is called practicing my faith. Yes. Right? I'm not, not practicing it as I'm trying it out. I'm putting what I believe into practice. 
It stops being theoretical and metaphorical and some kind of divine concept. And it starts being something that's daily, moment to moment applied to my life. By the grace of God, in the strength of our Lord, we are filled with the Spirit of Christ, okay? So I don't just go, I'm filled with the Spirit of Christ, and so now I'll just introspectively think about this. No, I'm filled with the Spirit of Christ, so now he's, he's in me. And so now I'm, I'm going, Holy Spirit, help. Because, I, because you're constantly seeing that contrast between our flesh and what is good in God. And so it excites me because it, it tells me that I'm not, uh, I'm not hard-hearted and stubborn towards those things. And I haven't become so comfortable in personal sin. So it's actually a really wonderful thing, but it means I'm applying. Well, my then faith. Let, I want to play a game with you real quick, and I want you to answer before you have time to think. Okay. What is your definition of disassociation? Don't even think spiritually. What it, when someone's disassociating? Okay, so what does that associating mean? Associating means to form with, like to come come together with. Dis means to not. So disassociating means I'm not coming together with something. What is disassociated theology? I'm not coming together with proper theology. I'm not connected to proper theology. You know what I've noticed? Agreeing with it. We've been pastoring local church 10 years, been in ministry 25 years. It seems to me that in the American hermeneutic, how do I say, American ideology, American theology, somehow the gospel has morphed into the God of comfort, like in other words, oh, what yes. can I believe that brings me benefits. the most comfort, even if it's not true? Divine benefits. What, what's your definition of pseudo? If something is pseudo. Somewhat. So like a, right? like a pseudo right gospel, a pseudo yeah. gospel. For example, if you look at what's going on right now in Iran, in the underground church, in China, in the underground church, uh, what Michael say recently from stage, there's 365 million current persecuted Christians on the earth. Mm-hmm. The gospel seems to explode in regions and territories where there's the most persecution, where people will walk on foot eight hours to gather with the saints. Mm-hmm. In America, it's, it's almost like a consumer idea of where can I go that brings me the most comfort? Because the Lord Heaven forbid, the Lord would mm. never lead me into discomfort. Mm. And we even look at things of like, I don't even like the word discomfort. Mm. The, the gospel is, this is, okay. The gospel really is more about Jesus than me. Come on, all day long, yes. Yes, this is why, <laughs> this is why Jesus says, take up your cross. Daily. Every day. Yeah. And follow me. Yeah. I mean, gosh, He is truth. He is peace. He is hope. He is our eternal reward. And He's the easiest person to love. Yeah, yes, but That doesn't yes, mean but. He's the easiest person yeah. to follow. Yes. He's the yes. easiest person to love. But it, it will take a daily yeah. choice. What I love about that, that invitation uh, from Jesus, take up your cross. He's saying, this is every day. You get to choose this every day. Wendy Paulson, because I yes- die daily. Because yesterday, yesterday might have been a fine day. But today is today. Choose today whom you will serve. And you know what? Yesterday might have been terrible. You might have been so aware of your flesh yesterday. You might be at a place right now, and you're coming to me, Wendy, and you're, you're listing your things of, of what yesterday was full of wrongs that you did. 
Yesterday was yesterday. Take up your cross today. So I love that Jesus is a daily personal God. My choice with him is every day. So as long as I'm breathing oxygen on this side of heaven, I have a choice with him every day. Do you know what and I, I think that's why it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is an implication to do this on the, on the active every day. This is not a once done thing. You are doing this. This is why so many people don't finish well, leaders specifically, but they don't finish well. At some point, they, their hubris set in, their, their activity for God set in. There's some kind of familiarity that came with, with their assignment, with mission, with who God is, with theology, with the Bible. I don't know, fill in the blank. And they stopped taking up a cross that was every day. That's a scary thing. I think the weakest link in the spirit field bride globally, but specifically in America, is what you're describing is a theology of suffering. Here's what I think a theology of suffering is. It has absolutely nothing to do with sickness. Jesus actually commanded his disciples to heal the sick. I'm still, it, it is beyond my pay grade how so many of my reformed brothers and sisters in the bride of Christ, it's mind boggling to me how they struggle with this message so much. Jesus in the, in the scripture, just read it yourself. He commanded his disciples to heal the sick, raise the dead. And before you say, well, that went away with the, with the last apostles. No, it didn't. I, I've got thousands of testimonies around here over the years of people I know, people I do life with, my own story. Anyway, but there is such thing as theology of suffering. Here's what I think suffering is. Suffering is dying daily. Okay, so what does that mean, die daily? I don't die physically daily. It is the hardest thing you will ever, ever, ever do is to surrender. Um, I hate to admit mm. this, but I got a little ADD in church a couple weeks ago, and it happens. I'm the lead pastor, and I got a little ADD. So I opened up the Bible, and I was reading just a little bit. Um, I was reading about Paul. It was in Acts. And the Holy Spirit gave Paul a heads up. This is, this is kind of funny to me, that many bad things await you. I mean. <laughs> That's the Lord saying mm-hmm. it. And so it's like, well, the Lord would never lead you into something that caused discomfort. I mean. Huh? It's just you can't find that. That's just not but true. Wendy, guess what the number one fruit of a true biblical theology of suffering is joy. So you would think that when you're dying daily, mm-hmm. uh, let's take addicts, for example, that are going through a recovery program. Man, a true recovery program that's biblical, it is a daily surrender of life. Man, this, ouch, this hurts. Ouch, I gotta confess my sin. Ouch, I need God. But guess what? Addicts start having a joy that people that are not going through recovery don't have. Somehow we believe that the gospel exists just to always keep me happy and I'm, I'm never in any form of emotional pain. I don't know. It's kind of painful to confess your own sin. It's kind of painful to surrender on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But, and I've seen this in your life, the Lord says, when you lose your life, you will find it. Mm-hmm. Why is it that we are so slow to give it all away knowing that the more we surrender, the more we give him a bucket to fill up inside of us? Why? True, the happiest people I know are the most surrendered people. I would agree with that, yeah. What, what is it then? Because uh, it's not just, it's, it's everybody. You and me sleep in an expensive bed at night. It's not like we sleep on a bed of nails. Comfort's not evil, but making comfort an idol is. Mm-hmm. What is it, how have you seen a proper biblical theology of suffering actually produce a harvest in your life, not the opposite? Well, I don't know that it actually came into my life uh, in a way that I truly accepted it and its benefits until I began to trust the Lord. 
I believe that very, very many well-meaning Christians quote verses about trusting in the Lord, sing songs about trusting in the Lord, um, give each other little bookmarks about trusting in the Lord, uh, put ornaments on their trees with scripture about trusting the Lord. Yeah. Put it on the front of bulletins. Because it's it's such an integral part of our ability to connect with God. It's an integral part of our faith, trust. And yet, I believe that many of us are blind to it. You know, we've been talking about idealism um, in shows past and Idealism is, is basically, I have, a, I have an thoughts of what perfection is, and so I, now I get to, to do all the things to attain it, and you throw God into it, and now we put in the name of God, I'm going to do this for Him. I'm going to attain this level of perfection. I'm not going to call it perfection. I'm going to call it excellence. Um, but it's at the end of the day, it's, not about, it's about not trusting Him. And I think that was the thing that shocked me the most when I came head to head with my need, my present need for God, is that I realized that I spoke a lot. I knew all the theology of trusting Him, but it was in the everyday that I did not. I, I, I trusted my, I didn't necessarily even trust my own strength, but I would maximize my own efforts. I would maximize my own strength. And uh, so I think that's why, I tr- right. truly. I, I believe we just genuinely don't trust Him in the way that we should. And people in other countries do. So I married you, and I watched this journey a couple of years ago. I watched it every day. This is what I saw from like a, a coaching perspective, not as me as the coach, but like Holy Spirit of like, oh, okay, so that's what you're doing. He, the Father, loved you enough, not mm-hmm. hated you enough, loved you enough mm-hmm. to push you into a season. Of discomfort. No, watch this. Where your strength could not pull it oh, off. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So look yeah, at how, so look say. at how he did it. Only for you to discover after those three things, your daily minute by minute need for him. What was your prayer? You pray like every hour. Uh, help me. Well, it it boiled down to help, but it it shine your light. Tell them what you went through when God made you come face to face with your own theology. Shine your light, expose the truth, open our eyes, Holy Spirit, help us, and it dwindled down to help. When I came God made face. you come face to face with an illegal theology you had. You didn't know you had it. That basically you had a grace awakening. Yes, which means the opposite of that. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? That sounds so wonderful and righteous. Basically what that is saying is, oh, Wendy, somewhere along the way, the girl who grew up in church, born on Sunday, never did not know a life without God, have a Christian family. Divorce is not rel- is not normal in, in our family. Um, my parents are still married. Uh, I married a minister. I've never, I don't have a history of rebellion with God, okay, in the way that a lot of people have stories. Um, I fell in love with the Lord in college. I didn't step away from Him. I didn't have a season. Okay, so this is, this is that little... <laughs> Pedigree, so to speak. Yeah. Right? Somewhere along the way, I stopped applying my need for Jesus into my real life. You didn't do and it on so purpose, saying, by the way. Saying that I had a grace awakening was basically saying somewhere along the way, Wendy, you you began you began to think for yourself way more than you ever 
submitted to the Lord. Oh, dear heavens, right? Self-reliance. Self-reliance, independence, a personal strength. I took my talents and I threw them in to the things of God and I called it doing for him. Because to be honest with you, truly, that, that was really where my heart is. But let's be honest, even good motivated things, if derailed long enough, can just take you off a different path. And it did. Do you it know did. what I think happened to you? And I got to a place where I did not trust him, but I didn't know I didn't trust but him. But that changed. I trusted my conditions. I trusted circumstances. And so when they shifted, because they will, that's when I went, mm, and I went into, well, then let's fix that mode or let's fix me mode. And let's, you know. Here's what I, I've never seen this. We hadn't even thought about this. This is what I feel like he's showing me what happened to you in that season, which okay. has been a couple of years ago. And, it, and by the way, it wasn't in some, in one moment. No, no. Um, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with mm. the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings, with two each covered his face and with two each covered his feet and with two each flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at his voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. This is Isaiah and Isaiah 6. It happened to Job. It happens to the beloved John in Revelation when Jesus appears to him. Yeah. You know what the, I don't think I've ever said this before. You know what the best and worst thing about God is? God. I mean, Wendy, I had that encounter 20-something years ago with the fear of the Lord. I don't ever want it to happen again. Yeah, no, I probably had 50 demonic encounters along the way. The one with God where the fear of the Lord filled my room in Campbellsville, Kentucky. I literally thought I was going to die. Here's what I saw happen to you. You came face to face with God. But here's what's amazing, Wendy. He didn't come to kill you. He came to heal you. Mm -hmm. And you were more blown away. You, it's almost like you were like Simon Peter. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Yeah. No. And he said, yeah. I don't want to get away from you, yeah. sweetie. You're my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. You had an encounter with his holiness. But with his holiness. And his grace. Which, is in, which <laughs> even as someone who was in Christ, it was in stark contrast to me. You know, his holiness is in stark contrast to me. So when he says, be holy for I am holy, I'm gonna need him to live a life of holiness. It's not just a command of like, hey, go do these things and this is the list and well done. But we need him. If I need him for salvation, I'm gonna need him to work it out too. And that's seeing him in a different light, in the light in which I should have, which thank God for God, because he put those words in my mouth. Yeah. Shine your light. When he began to shine his light and he began to expose the truth of who he is and expose the truth of who I am in contrast to who he is. And he began to open my eyes to that. All I could have was a moment similar to Isaiah's of like, I don't, I don't deserve this from you. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your cleansing. I don't deserve anything. You know, it was his, it was it was fearing him that caused me to be so aware of his grace and his mercy in my life. Your story reminds me. It was Andrew Womit that prophesied over us 
over 20 years ago, Andrew's encounter with God in the same way. Back in the 60s, Andrew had never said a cuss word. He had never had a cup of coffee, much yeah. less alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And he had an encounter with the holiness of God and the grace of God. Yeah. I think we'll close here. Here's what's amazing about God. You can be friends with him. You can know him. You can hear him a hundred times a day. You better go low. And yet when you go low, you know what he does? He just picks you up and he'll look at you and say, I love you and I died for you. Wendy, I had an encounter with the Lord five years ago where his presence manifested in my room and he said, you were not kosher with me. Mm-hmm. The closer I have become friends with God, the less freedom I have, not in the Galatians way, but in what I want to do way. Mm-hmm. I have no rights. I have no opinions. There was an issue in my life of the fear of man that the Lord did not come to hold me and cuddle me. He fussed at me pretty hard. And that's the same one that I had the encounter with and you were with mm-hmm. me when his love literally knocked me out of a chair and went through my cells. This is the paradox of the narrow road. God bless. Thanks for joining us for Table Talks. Be sure to comment, like, subscribe, and hit the bell so you never miss an episode. To check out the books mentioned and other resources, go to thegardengreenville.com. We hope your friendship with God will flourish more and more this week. We'll see you again soon.